0: In his new book, Human Work in the Age of Smart Machines, Jamie Marisotis shares his perspective on finding abundant and meaningful work in the 21st century as automation, artificial intelligence, and robots take over. Visit luminafoundation.org
1: to learn more.
2: and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis.
0: Hello, Ashley. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Was that spooky? (laughs) Wow. Uh, (laughs) Oh, weird. Okay. Maybe (laughs) we should. Maybe it was too (laughs) sultry. Yeah. again? want to clear your throat. <laughs> oh, uh, welcome to Jesuitical. Oh, yeah, I'm here. Oh man, how's it going? It's good. I was trying to I was trying to be spooky because it's Halloween, but uh it didn't yeah. didn't work. Um but yeah,
2: I am, I was scared.
0: Good. Okay. Um yeah, we figured, you know, we've been really overloading people with politics. Uh so, you know, we thought we'd in the week before the election, you're probably sick of it. You've probably already made up your mind on who you're voting for. Yeah. And so we're just going to lighten the mood with uh, you know, talk about exorcisms and demons.
2: <laughs> yeah, the only thing scarier than our our current political situation <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes oh my oh my lord um uh, but uh, we do have a very on theme drink
2: yes we do i didn't know this re- recipe before but this is a uh, witch's brew so what what is this Zach?
0: so normally i think there are other things that go into this but the the key ingredient um is empress gin which is a it's a gin that is naturally purple um and so it makes for very pretty drinks and so we are Or spooky Or spooky <laughs> drinks And so we're just doing A little gin and tonic uh, With Empress Gin um, Tonic water obviously And a little bit of lime Squeezed in But it does It just like looks yep. incredible its I highly recommend That gin If you're trying to like Wow some people Yeah Or serve at a Halloween Socially distanced party This is the one you want
2: <laughs> Alright Cheers Cheers
0: And who are we talking to this week?
2: We are talking to Dr. Richard Gallagher, who is a board-certified psychiatrist and a leading expert in the field of exorcism.
0: Yeah, and he has a new book out called Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as Psychiatrist, Investigating Possessions, Diabolical Attacks, and the Paranormal. Um, And that sounds a little sensational, but let me tell you, Dr. Gallagher is a very serious person um, who's got a very important job and we left the interview pretty spooked um it's not our it's not our intent to spook you because we do end on a on a hopeful note um but man buckle up
2: yeah no, he's great. He's not only a very serious psychiatrist, he's a, he's a devout Catholic, um, and, and, you know, he sees this work um, against demonic foes as, as his vocation. Um, so it was a real, yeah, it was great to talk to him. And the, the, the things that, the, you know, real evil is much scarier than anything that we can try to, try to make up for our Halloween decorations.
0: Yes, very true.
2: But first, we have Signs of the Times, the part of the show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story,
0: Zach? So a little vacuum news for you this week. Over the weekend, Pope Francis named 13 new cardinals, including Archbishop Wilton Gregory of Washington, D.C., who is set to become the first black cardinal in the United States.
2: Right. So Archbishop Gregory, or Cardinal-elect Gregory, was the president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops from 2001 to 2004. So that's when the sex abuse crisis first broke out into headlines. Um, And he was a strong advocate for the zero tolerance policy for priests found guilty of abuse.
0: Yeah. in the return of the sex abuse crisis two years ago now, 2018 sort of uh, led to him being made Archbishop of Washington, D.C., where Cardinal Wuerl was under pressure to resign for the way that he handled sex abuse cases in Pennsylvania.
2: Right, and you might have heard uh, Gregory's name in the news again this summer um, after he criticized President Trump for visiting the St. John Paul II National Shrine just one day after clearing protesters from in front of the White House uh, to do a photo op with the Bible at St. John's Episcopal Church.
0: Yeah, and this also this appointment also comes at a time when The United States as a a whole, and the church is included in that, is looking at the ways that black people in this country have been represented. And so, it certainly comes at a historic moment, both in our church, but also in our country. Um, But getting to the uh, other 12 cardinals that he's named, um, just sort of broadening the scope a little bit, it's the seventh time that Francis is named cardinals, which... um, it has a pretty big impact on not just how the church operates today, but how it will in the future.
2: Right. So, cardinals are the people in the Catholic Church who not only serve as close advisors to the Pope, but they also get to elect the next Pope. So, whoever comes after Francis, uh, you know, he's he's kind of choosing who gets to elect his successor.
0: Yeah. So, he's now named 73 of the current makeup of the College of Cardinals who will vote in the next conclave because uh, there are more cardinals, but Once they turn 80, they, uh, lose their voting rights. Right.
2: Is so is he like, is this similar to packing the court, but for Catholics? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, no, I would say, first of all, um, different popes aren't like political parties in the slightest. Mm. Um, but it is fair to say that, you know, the past three popes have all had different emphasis on the church and the way it should live out its ministry. Um, and now that Francis is, you know, picked 73, Benedict picked 39, and John Paul has picked 16 of the current 128, um it is, I think, fair to say that the majority is now reflective of what Francis has tried to emphasize in the way he has lived out his pontifical ministry.
2: Right. So, there are 128 electors from 68 countries um, in every continent. So, you know, it, it reflects the global reach of the church. And it's also gotten, um, he's decided to make cardinals in communities that are affected by poverty or conflict, political tensions. Um, so, places like Myanmar, Tonga, Haiti, and Burkina Vaso, which would never never before had a cardinal, now have um, you know, their countries represented at the highest levels of the church.
0: So the College of Cardinals has gotten more diverse under Francis, but there is still one group that's not represented, and that is Latinos in the U.S. And so to talk about this, we decided to bring on our colleague J.D. Long Garcia, who has a piece in America this week that's titled, How Long Will the Latino Community Have to Wait for a Cardinal in the U.S.? J.D., Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here.
2: Yeah, good to have you back on. So first, what was your reaction when you w- woke up to the news that uh, Pope Francis had named 13 new cardinals and once again, there was no U.S. Latino among
1: them? Well, I mean, the first thing to say, I think, is that like when I when I read the news, it's it's exciting that Archbishop Gregory was named, right? Because he's a representative of the Black community, and that's something that we definitely need represented in the College of Cardinals. So th- that part is something that um, I think all of us can celebrate. Uh, uh, he comes from a marginalized community also. And uh, so I think that that's a, that's a huge thing. And so not to I don't want to take away from that and um, right. what I'm going to say next at all, um, because that's a, that's a really good news for the church. Um, but n- anytime there's a cardinal's named, I ask, I, <laughs> I sort of look through the list and say, oh, maybe this will be the time when we'll get a Latino cardinal. Um, because we mm. have a number of cardinals here in the United States, and not one is Latino. Um, and so, you know, we, we know the demographics, uh, 40 to 45% of Catholics in the United States are Latino, uh, 60% of Catholics under 18 are Latino. So um, while I was excited about uh, Archbishop Gregory, uh, I also was a little disappointed not to see someone... Um, from the Latino communities on the list.
0: How much of this is geographic, too? I feel like cardinals traditionally have tended to come from the East Coast, but that, that that's not always true, I suppose. But Yeah,
2: we currently have one in New York, Boston, and Newark, and D.C., so that's kind of the Acela Corridor, <laughs> yeah. which is not where the Catholic Church is growing the fastest,
1: right? Yeah, that's right. No, the um, the church is growing in the South and in the West. Southwest also, of course, crossover cross over there. Um, but in the South, you, you know, there is a cardinal in in Houston, uh, Cardinal DiNardo, um, and that's it. Uh, you know, we have Supich uh, in Chicago, uh, but I don't think that's really considered West um, to most people in the United States.
0: As a Midwesterner, I, I, <laughs> Chicago is fir- firmly in the Midwest. I would like to claim it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, that's another aspect of it. And Ashley, what you were saying earlier, as far as Francis naming cardinals from... Um, I don't know, I- areas that are not very well represented or mm. even uh, recognizing controversy. It seems to me like this would be a tremendous opportunity to to recognize just that, uh, a Latino leader, cardinal um, in the United States that that is facing a bit of controversy and, and still remains one of the marginalized populations. Yeah.
0: So what, in your estimation explains the gap here because it seems to me like Francis who is you know our first Latin American Pope might be more attentive to things like this
1: that's a great question uh, and I I mean we ha- I have I guess water cooler conversations about this and uh, so I, I have some ideas but I uh, I'm not really sure I, I think that there's a number of very I don't know eligible bishops uh, to, that could be named cardinals. Um, It would be interesting, for example, if there were one uh, from the border, since the border is such a place of contention. um, And, you know, Francis doesn't follow the rules as far as like, oh, well, this archdiocese has always had uh, a cardinal. (laughs) Uh, He doesn't really do that. Uh, You know, uh, Philadelphia is one, for example, that traditionally had been held. Uh, uh, The cardinal used to be there. Uh, St. Louis also. Uh, Los Angeles is another place. Uh, but, but Francis, we know, doesn't follow those rules. The other thing, uh, th- this may be obvious, but uh, I believe, and I think it's been stated, that, that Francis doesn't want as many cardinals from the United States. So for, for years, we've had more than equal representation in, on the mm. global level in the Car- College of Cardinals. So maybe that's part of it. Uh, maybe that's playing a role. We have, currently, we're going to have um, eight voting cardinals. Because a Cardinal World will turn eighty before you know Archbishop Gregory will become a cardinal. Um, so, but anyway, maybe that's part of the calculus that, that's going on. They don't want to go above mm-hmm. eight, uh, but I, I'm not sure. I mean, that that's you know speculation on my part.
2: Yeah. So, what would it what would it mean to to you personally, or you know, to the Latino Church uh, in a broader sense to have to have that representation?
1: A lot. I mean, I, I, it would it would be tremendous. I you know th- there is. For example, I think that it's important to have, uh, this may, might sound like a stretch, but I think it's important to have women represented when we make decisions in the church because, mm-hmm. uh, uh, because we haven't uh, really. So it's, it's encouraging to see when we do see kind of signs of that beginning to take place. Um, as Latinos, uh, w- when we see someone that's from our community, that validates who we are, especially in the United States. Uh, which is, again, funny to say because Latinos have been here since before, uh, especially in the Southwest, since before it was the United States, uh, but it's validating of, of their faith, uh, and and also, it's. I think it would be a huge help for vocations. Uh, there mm-hmm. seems to be that, uh, that need to see um, someone like yourself, someone you can identify with. Um, this isn't kind of that uh, identity politics. Uh, I've gotten some comments about that on social media. This isn't really an identity politics situation as much as it is a a representation and and what it really means for this part of the community. I mean, 40%, maybe 45% of Catholics in the United States, I mean, that's nearly half. Yeah, (laughs) And we don't have one? Yeah.
2: Well, the title of the article is how long will the latino community have to wait for a cardinal in the united states uh jd thank you so much for coming on uh we think pope francis listens to the podcast so maybe maybe he'll get the message we have no
0: evidence <laughs> but we do speculate yeah, sí, por favor, Santo Padre. <laughs> <laughs> amen thanks so much jd
2: thank you all right and now stick around for our conversation with dr richard gallagher Joining us from New York City is Dr. Richard Gallagher. Dr. Gallagher is a board-certified psychiatrist and a leading expert in the field of exorcism. He is the author of the new book, Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolical Attacks, and the Paranormal. Welcome to Jesuitical, Dr. Gallagher. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, We're very excited for this interview. uh, But first, I want to just maybe start with some definitions, because Catholics have a very specific way of talking about the paranormal and and demons. So can you tell us what exactly the Catholic teaching on demons is?
3: Well, the Catholic teachings on demons goes back to medieval councils. Uh, it's quite clear that uh, demons exist, Satan exists, and they're in a kind of uh, antagonistic position vis-a-vis the human race, let alone with with our lord
2: yeah and when you say they exist like very literal and like as as persons right they're not just like this dark they they are
3: creatures you know they are they are persons of sort uh obviously in the catholic church we believe that uh they're fallen angels and that's exactly what they seem to me to be and Mm. you
0: said you know medieval times or middle ages but jesus himself is you know frequently in the Gospels, encountering demons.
3: Oh, there's no question. I mean, the the councils go back to the teachings of our Lord. So, you know, that's where the our major information about uh, the whole world of demons comes from.
2: Right. And I think modern people might want to, like, turn those into metaphors. And, well, you know, they do. So,
3: like, they they, they, they yeah. tend to, you know, think it's a personification of evil, but... Uh, As uh, Zach said, it's a very clear teaching of our Lord. And in fact, all throughout history, uh, including in the Palestinian world at that time, uh, it was a common belief to believe in evil spirits. And uh, pretty much all major religions have always believed in evil spirits. And sometimes people say, well, Dr. Gallagher, you're out of the mainstream. And I said, well, there may be a lot of psychiatrists that don't believe in this stuff. but..." The fact of the matter is that most people in the world today believe in evil spirits most, and the majority of Americans as well. So this is hardly uh, out of the mainstream in in most respects belief, and the Catholic Church has what I think is the most sophisticated way of understanding and and dealing with evil spirits.
0: So you are— a psychiatrist, can I ask how you first got introduced to the work of exorcisms and demonic possession?
3: Yeah, I'm a psychiatrist and I'm not an exorcist. I'm a kind of uh, consultant that was scientific advisor to the International Association of Exorcists for a while.
0: For some reason, they always leave your character out in the movies. Although I feel it feels like (laughs) you're you're a valuable team member in the exorcism. (laughs)
3: Yeah, well, that's fine with me. Um, I I, I always tell people I never volunteered. I never volunteered for uh, consulting on cases. I was asked to join the International Association of uh, Exorcists by two exorcist friends of mine. I wrote an article a few years ago for the Washington Post that generated uh, about a million hits. And then I recently wrote a book, uh, which HarperCollins was— desirous of 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 publishing and and I thank HarperCollins for the book it's called Demonic foes and so everything I've done I suppose that I think of it as more providential because uh, I didn't really volunteer for any of this but look, I'm a physician. Yeah. So
2: did a, a priest, a priest or someone else approached you?
3: Yes. Uh, yes.
2: Okay. And, and, I, and what, I, what was that I, first case? And I'm,
3: you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a physician. So uh, just cause this is a controversial diagnosis, I didn't really, um, I, I try not to turn people down who asked for help. And this priest came to me and, and I said, you know, father, I'm a little skeptical of the scope of the way people do this uh, sort of field. And uh, he said, well, then you're the perfect man for the job because we want someone who's, you know, well-trained and a little skeptical. And then he asked me to, to, to see a case of a woman who was getting beaten up by evil spirits. Obviously, I wasn't sure until I met her whether she might be psychotic or abused or something like that. But after I spoke to her it was quite clear to me that there was no psychiatric or medical reason why she had all these bruises and her story was completely consistent, as was that of her husband, that she was just being beaten up literally before other people's eyes by invisible forces that she as a Catholic was pretty darn sure were evil spirits.
0: So you were able to rule out... like. Mental illness or uh, something else? Just yeah,
3: yeah. I had to rule out medical and mental illness. I mean, there's some odd medical disorders that cause bruises, uh, but uh, this was just very different. This was a woman who clearly felt that she was experiencing blows. There was no obvious, you know, material thing doing that, but she would claim, and her husband verified, and her friends verified that this was all happening uh as they watched by what they themselves described as invisible forces and as as catholics they 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 absolutely believed that this was uh, demonic spirits uh, themselves
2: and did you witness this the, the attack
3: i have witnessed a lot of things in my life i, I did not witness that okay. um no but okay. uh the priest when i when i told him that there was no medical or psychiatric explanation for this. He said, well, that's what I thought. Uh, I thought this was, you uh, know, the priest was saying, I, th- I thought this was a demonic oppression. So this was not a possession. Yeah. This is this is uh, one of the three major categories of what are called extraordinary attacks by demons. Yeah.
2: And it sounds like the Vatican takes this, you know, pretty seriously. Like they wanted someone skeptical.
3: Well, I wouldn't say the Vatican. And and I never never say that I I work for the church, and I don't get paid by the church or anything. Mm. Uh, Most of this is done pro bono. Mm. And um, Mm. what I say is I do it for our Lord. But I never speak for the church, and no one really speaks for me. I'm just a uh, consultant Mm -hmm. to the individual people who ask for my help, which is usually clergy, but... Sometimes in more recent years, people have found me on their own.
0: But would you say that's typical process for members of the Catholic Church who are investigating some of this stuff to consult someone like you?
3: Yeah, I would say that's that's customary practice, and in the in the official manual, which has been revised but goes back to sixteen fourteen, called the Roman Ritual, it is certainly uh, highly recommended that whenever necessary, uh, you consult a physician. So physicians have been involved in this for centuries. Uh, In America, um, pretty much all the bishops will require for a serious demonic attack a medical and psychiatric evaluation.
2: Mm. So when you're doing one of these evaluations, what are the criteria that you use to differentiate between a demonic attack and something that's Has a medical or psychiatric explanation? Like, what are are there are there certain things that like repeat that happen over and over again when you're with someone who's
3: possessed? Oh, uh, certainly, and and these are these are rigorous diagnoses. So, if I after doing a careful history and mental status exams and all the kinds of things that doctors do, if um, the case goes beyond that to something which the modern age calls paranormal. Paranormal is sort of a pseudoscientific uh, term. It really refers to what past ages have recognized as spiritual, either either supernatural or diabolic. You have to see certain criteria, very definite criteria, essentially evidence of a with a possession, evidence of a clear foreign entity. Uh, controlling the individual. In the Roman ritual, they suggest it's especially um, helpful to look for the criteria of what's called superhuman strength or totally abnormal movements, you might say, of the possessed body, Uh, what's called latra in Latin, which means hidden knowledge, so that the person has psychic knowledge that they would have no other way of knowing.
0: This is like speaking a, a foreign language that they've never studied.
3: Well, that that that's the third thing. I, with with Latra, I'm talking about they would know something like um, one of the, one of the women uh, I evaluated, very very dramatic case, knew how my mother died, for instance, and she knew how many other people had died. Now she would have no way of knowing that. Um, she also had what uh, the parapsychologists call remote viewing. She could actually see some people at a distance. For instance, bizarre as it sounds, she described to me, uh, to a T, uh, an exorcist one evening. And then, and then a slightly separate category is the idea of uh, knowing foreign languages, uh, and I've mm. witnessed that also on on a number of occasions. And some people say to me, well, how come they always understand or know Latin? And uh, I say they understand all languages mm. uh, because they've been, <laughs> they've been around for millennia. They're very intelligent. I mean, after all, they're fallen angels. And like angels, they are far more intelligent than human beings.
0: It's not that Latin just sounds... Spookier, smarter.
3: Well, somehow people think, you know, this only happens to Catholic uh people or something, mm-hmm. or, or only to fundamentalist Christians or something. And once again, that's a, that's that's a fallacy. I mean, possession has been reported in the majority of cultures throughout history. There was a famous anthropologist who documented that very well. So um The fact that when a priest, for instance, is saying prayers in Latin, even though the individual—and again, I've seen this on numerous occasions—even though the particular victim—I'll call the possessed person a victim—even when the victim, you know, has virtually no education and certainly wasn't brought up Catholic or anything and knows no Latin, uh, you can tell when the the priest is saying the prayers in Latin, it's quite obvious that the— the demon is following along and sometimes responds.
0: You mentioned this is common across religions, across cultures, across time periods. How common is it today? And like how how, how often are you encountering this And like, you know, of all the people you're diagnosing, how many do you, you know, land on yes, this is this is something spiritual?
3: Well, you you have to remember I see a very select population. Sure. I mean, I I would never Deny the fact that a a a kind of full demonic possession, let alone any of these extraordinary attacks of of demons, and that's why they're called extraordinary. Uh, they're rare. The only reason I've seen a lot of cases is because basically I get consulted upon from people all over the world, and when I started out, there were there were many fewer exorcists even in America, so these uh, two prominent exorcists would see so many cases that they would, you know, ask me to tag along whenever possible. And so I saw a lot of cases. To be more specific about your question, I always tell people during the course of my work, I am a mainstream psychiatrist and, you know, I work for two different medical colleges and, um, I've probably evaluated, uh, I would guess, over the course of my career, about 25,000 patients uh, during the course of my normal work. And of those 25,000 patients, some people are surprised when I say none of them, none of them were possessed. Yeah. So the only reason I, I have experience with a fair amount of these cases is because they find me or their clergy finds me, and they've already had a little suspicion that, well maybe something is going on now it is true that sometimes when i evaluate these people they turn out to have mental illness or even some kind of neurological illness or something but again i'm i'm someone and i'm not the only psychiatrist in the world who does this i don't want to give that impression i, I know i know quite a few physicians and psychiatric nurses and psychologists and and other other psychiatrists who do this sort of thing but they probably just don't have that much experience, uh, and/or they're reluctant to to speak out. Mostly, yeah. So, for that for that for that reason, to answer your question, I see a higher percentage in those cases, of course, of of genuine demonic attacks.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned so a lot of people in the in the medical field um, are maybe a little bit more skeptical about spiritual explanations for um, what people are suffering. Do you think, you know, it would be helpful if they took it more seriously? Um, or, you know, or at least were willing to consider that something has a spiritual explanation?
3: Well, you know, yes and no. I mean, obviously, I think it would be good for all people, not just physicians, to have a little more <laughs> understanding of these things. I, I don't think that your average physician, and certainly your average non-psychiatrist, is really going to run into these people. Even psychiatrists, yeah. a lot of these people avoid psychiatrists like the plague because they think, oh, this person's just going to think I'm crazy. I know I'm not crazy, but they'll probably put me into a hospital. One woman I dealt with, you know, she told me that for years she avoided psychiatrists because she was deathly afraid they would put her in the hospital. So yes, uh, occasionally uh, a doctor might see a case like this, but uh, a lot of times in those situations, they may say to the the person, "Look, uh, this is beyond me. You you have to consult somebody else or Mm. consult somebody you know in your church or something."
0: Safe to say that you. Probably, it's a specialist that you need a referral for.
3: To yeah, say, at least. yeah, it's 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 <laughs> yeah. it's a little bit of a specialized métier. Yeah.
0: What have you noticed contributes to um, demonic possession or oppression? Is it just totally random? Is it something that people need to be worried about that could just happen to them?
3: It, it is certainly not random, and it's not something the average person has to worry about at all. He asked really two different questions, which is, why do people get possessed and why do people get oppressed? Oppression is, is a little more common, still rare, but it's a little more common than possession. And there's a wider group of people who might get oppressed, uh, for instance, throughout certainly um, Catholic religious history, even though people do use different terms, so uh, one has to be uh, aware of uh, the terminology. Uh, I use the the, the the term oppression for any kind of attack on an individual uh, short of a possession, and there are many...
0: What are some examples of that? Like, you, you mentioned blows and bruises earlier.
3: Blows, choking, scars, uh, uh, a, w- a wide variety of things. And there are, there are many saints, for instance... Uh, John Vianney is perhaps the uh, most well-known example of uh, holy people who have been attacked by spirits. Now, again, I'll put my professor's hat on. Some people make distinctions and don't call that oppression. But for all intents and purposes, that is uh, obviously an extraordinary attack.
0: Man, that's terrifying. I thought it was just going to be like lights flickering on and off or something. (laughs) That's much Well, that
3: can happen. That can happen, too. You know. And that, oh, that's, okay. that's normally what we call an infestation. So there really are okay. three types of extraordinary attacks okay. by demons. Uh, there are uh, possessions, oppressions, and infestations, what's called infestations. That would be like a, a haunted house or something. And and then, of course, uh, without ascribing all uh, the foibles of human nature and the sins of human nature, to to demons, because they cannot cause a person to sin. But we do know in the Catholic tradition that temptation, which is regarded as a ordinary attack of a spirit, is not uncommon, of course. But let me just get back to your question, which is a good one. So why does a person become possessed? The general way that a person gets attacked is because they have turned to either something quite evil or they have turned to a serious involvement in occultism or or Satanism per se. The most dramatic case I ever saw was a woman who was a devil worshiper. She was a Satanist, and even though Satanists are not found around every corner or in every neighborhood, uh, there's a few of them who do exist. She she was uh, the real deal. Uh, she was. Pleasant enough to me, I talked to her on many occasions, but she was also someone who um, was somewhat of a nasty person in general, and uh, certainly was an outright uh, worshiper of Satan. So that 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 is going to be a person, and not everybody is quite so dramatic. But that's that's a person who is going to be uh, possibly subject to uh, possession. Um. And in fact, you might say that in most cases of possession, wittingly or unwittingly, the person who gets possessed has generally, again, a few exceptions, but has generally somehow invited the the evil spirit in.
2: So that's why we say made a deal with the devil like that? That's it's literal. Yeah,
3: well, that's a dramatic example. Now, now, not everybody is quite so explicit about it because they often don't know what they're getting involved in. Yeah, okay. You know, some of the most tragic cases are people say who have no religion, but somehow have been extremely turned to evil or whatever, and uh, you know, they get they get possessed and they don't know what to do. You know, who do I turn to? You know,
0: you know, this is um. An interesting conversation because you know we. This is a podcast for young adult Catholics. Um, we got listeners who are not young adults and not Catholics. But um, one of the things that we've noticed among our peers, uh,
3: I'm, I'm not. I'm not looking to scare. I'm not looking to scare your audience. <laughs> here. You're your the guy asking well, the question. Well, you have scared
0: me intentionally. Now, I'm a little spooked. But I do want to ask for our audience, Like one of the things we've noticed among our peers is like this dabbling in new forms of spirituality, Right, a little bit of remixing of different types of things, tarot cards, moon rituals, voodoo. Um, how much of that is safe and innocent and harmless experimentation? And are there things that, in your expert opinion... You would recommend people stay very far away from
3: well, I would recommend that people stay away from everything you just mentioned now, you know people can get a little hysterical about it, and you know you shouldn't read Harry Potter or something like that you know i mean you can you can do you can be overboard um I'm sure a number of people play with a Ouija board, you know. Don't wind up.
0: I am not touching a, I am not touching a Ouija board, <laughs> even before this conversation.
3: <laughs> to get back to your question, the, the, the fact of the matter is that all types of occultism and, you know, people go to psychics, mediums, all that, uh, it's very, very, it's always been very discouraged by the church. In fact, in the, in the Old Testament, uh, the uh, ancient Hebrews, almost unique among ancient people, Extremely discouraged that sort of thing because they knew it was associated with um, the kind of evil side of paganism—fooling uh, fooling around with evil spirits or imagining you were speaking to dead souls and all that. Uh, that was the, in the Old Testament, for instance, in Deuteronomy. The punishments of somebody doing that are quite severe because they thought it was—they thought it was quite dangerous.
2: Yeah. Which, we're talking to you on the week of Halloween what, what where do you come down on like dressing up as a witch for Halloween
3: well look again if you if if you're sort of making fun of the whole thing mm-hmm. uh, I mean you know I, I don't okay <laughs> I don't have I don't have the absolute answer to this but you know yeah. if, if, if if you're making sort of fun of those things in a way it's uh you might say it's a healthy outlet but uh you know if you, if, if you're gonna yeah. begin to put on a sober hat and, and and get preoccupied or want to get involved in that sort of thing. Uh, you, you know, in that case, you're playing with fire.
2: Yeah. And this is something I think most people's knowledge of this or impression, if it's not knowledge, is it, it comes from culture. You know, this is, you know, either like movies like The Exorcism or like my I know my little brother loves the show Ghost Adventure. Ghost adventures, I think, where you know they like investigate haunted houses and try to like get evidence of it on tape. Is it healthy that that's where we're getting this information from? <laughs>
3: I, I think that's unwise. Yeah, I think it's unwise for people to to do that.
2: Why, like the ghost hunting
3: people? The, the people who seriously investigate it. I, I actually have a friend who's sort of an expert on that whole sort of thing. Good Catholic guy, mm-hmm. and. He says he gets called from people in Hollywood all the time who have sort of taken a serious interest in that stuff and have, have paid a sort of price. And, uh, you know, his advice is, is the same as mine and, and, and the same as the Catholic Church. You have to protect yourself spiritually. I mean, I wouldn't do this work if I didn't, you know, practice my religion. And, and as a matter of fact, I wouldn't do it if I didn't have a lot of people praying for me. Which I do. And uh, I'll put in a plug to your audience. So pray, pray for Dr. Gallagher. The <laughs> prayers will be appreciated. We, yeah.
0: Amen to that. I, I just going back to hollywood really quick on the flip side of that i will say that like you know if you take a movie like the exorcist which was based on a true story about and you know there were certainly jesuit priests that consulted on that i remember very distinctly seeing that
3: and 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 and, and delivered the uh, case eventually it was based on a real case of a boy from originally from maryland who 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 Kind of illustrates your point because he got very preoccupied with spiritualism, you know, sort of communicating with spirits, based on what an aunt of his had done. This is all in the public record now, and he was he was um, affected for years until some Jesuits in uh, St Louis participated in the su- successful um liberation through exorcisms
0: and i i remember seeing that as a as a very young catholic and that sort of hammering home for me that this this is real and i shouldn't mess around with that stuff so like it would like at least in that instance it really served as a, a I don't know, maybe a positive for me?
3: Yeah, I don't I d I'm not i am not i am not saying that there should never be any media treatment of this. All I'm saying is that, you know, some people uh do get pulled into this world and uh in an unhealthy way. You know, it it, it, it depend it depends a lot on uh sort of your attitude to, to towards the whole thing. I mean a lot of people think uh, you know, they're investigating the paranormal. What they don't understand is that they're they're often investigating tricks of the demonic
2: how did you kind of like avoid the trap of enticing people to look into this stuff when when you you know when you talk about it or when you when you're writing the book like (laughs) were you worried that some people might take it the wrong way
3: well i think a lot of people take it the wrong way i mean you know especially in in some ways especially young people Mm -hmm. i mean when i was a kid you know we all liked Halloween because we like getting the the candy at our neighbor's house, and we might well have dressed up as a ghost or something. And again, I think a lot of that is is harmless. But nowadays, especially with the decline of um, mainstream religion, um, many young people, of course, have given up the Catholicism of their own family. Uh, People get pulled into a serious interest in things like Wicca, witchcraft, they may go to psychics, um, and those are the people who uh, don't understand that they're dealing with something dark and something that they should not be fooling around with, and that they may pay a price. I mean, the price may be primarily that they just they get confused. Um, the demonic world attacks people, but they're just as interested in... Um, Confusing people so that people get pulled into that whole world of the paranormal and the psychic run the the strong risk of almost taking it under different guises as a, as an alternate uh, belief system.
0: So, what do you? What's the primary thing you want people to take away from the new book?
3: Well, it, there's a couple of main goals I had. Um, you know, I felt I had such a uh, unique perspective. Um, To do the subject justice, I mean, just as a matter of truth claims, I would have to sort of write a book to give sufficient evidence as well as all the caveats. The caveats being you have to rule out the psychiatric. It's easy to get superstitious about these things. It's easy to get preoccupied with these these things. So I felt I could bring a a certain clarity to the whole subject.
2: So the idea is like, you know, putting the facts out there so that People take this seriously and don't exactly, mess, exactly. mess around with.
3: Exactly. I mean, things. I was I was interviewed by Esquire recently, and they headlined the Q and A. Um, Doctor Gallagher is not out to convince every, anybody. Mm. I mean, I, 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 you express it exactly right, Ashley. I, what I do is I present the evidence and let people decide for themselves. I mean, to me, the evidence is overwhelming. So, part of my goal in writing the book was to educate people about the whole subject, but also as a, as a doctor, to warn people. And you might say this is the the, the fundamentalist era that the devil is not everywhere. You can't blame your problems on the devil. We all have free will. And in addition to that, that there are certain conditions, especially psychiatric conditions like psychosis and schizophrenia, like extreme suggestibility, um, certain personality disorders, where there's no question, that a lot of people at least in the psychiatric system think they're possessed or something when nothing of the sort is going on. So those those were kind of the the twin goals, but I certainly wasn't encouraging people also to get preoccupied with this stuff which is probably unhealthy.
2: Right. So, it's been a dark conversation. Um but you're still Catholic. You've you've witnessed, you know, evil demons and you've kept your faith. Um I'm wondering how how it's shaped your view of things like God and angels and saints.
3: Well, I you know, I was I was I was brought up Catholic. I, I would like to say, and I don't set myself up as any kind of paragon, but I like to say that it has deepened my faith. I mean, when you confront these situations you realize you are dealing with some fundamental truths of the faith. Uh, angels, demons, most Pleasantly, the power of our Lord and, and of devotion to saints. St. Saint Augustine, who was not only a brilliant theologian and philosopher, but also was a bishop and an exorcist himself, so he had a lot of experience, he said something which I used to think was kind of a you know early medieval, late classical superstition. He said if it was up to the demonic world, while they primarily want to corrupt people— um, but if they had their way, they would probably try to kill us all. And I said I said to myself when I first read that, this was years ago, well, wow, it's kind of an exaggeration. But when you see their effect on people and how they they truly seem to take some sadistic pleasure out of tormenting people, you know, presumably because we're still creatures of God who can turn to God and it's obviously... You know God and our Lord, who they hate the most, and they're also trying, I think, to bring people down to their own kingdom of darkness. You might say. Saint Augustine finished by saying, "You know, we luckily we have the protection of our Lord and 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 the saints, and they prevent it from those things, help prevent those things from happening." The
0: saints is a great place for us to wrap up. We do have one final question for you. We ask all our guests. Um, if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, uh, fictional or real, who would it be and why?
3: That's uh, a tough one. I, I I can't think any of anybody off the head. I'm sure there are a lot of people who go unrecognized.
2: Is there a saint that you've found um, or that exorcists have found to be um, especially efficacious?
3: Well, I, I think the patron of, of exorcists is St. Benedict. And mm. so I certainly have a special devotion to him and the other great saint who is uh has the label of scourge of demons in a lot of litanies and that sort of thing is St Joseph I have a, I have a special for personal reasons I have a special um devotion to St Joseph and then of course there's Mary and I always say to people when Mary is mentioned during an exorcism it seems to drive the evil spirits, particularly Batty, because, you know, here's a uh, wonderful figure in in Catholic theology, but also someone who was a humble Jewish woman uh, in her day, and uh, I'm sure they are terribly humiliated by the fact that she has such a role and such a powerful role in, uh, in helping to liberate uh, the victims.
0: Well, Saint Benedict, Saint Joseph and Saint Mary, pray for us and pray for you, Doctor Gallagher. Thank you so much for your vocation.
3: That's a wonderful way of ending, so thank you.
0: <laughs> of course. No, no problem. And again, the book is Demonic Foes, my twenty five years as psychiatrist investigating possessions, diabolic attacks, and the paranormal. And it's out from HarperCollins
3: right now.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Doctor Gallagher.
3: My my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for a thoughtful interview.
2: All right. Now it's time for some housekeeping. Uh, whoa. A lot of you are joining Patreon to join, I assume, because you want to be a part of our Fratelli 2D book club.
0: Yes. So we got a lot of names to shout out and read this week. Um, so we want to thank uh, new patrons Sarah Taylor, Marilyn Andrews, Eric Scorsone, Isabel Mann, Steve Burke, Barb Gilman, and Stacey Ward,
2: as well as Tish Oxenrider, Mary W. Farmer, Eric Panico, Al Adams, Megan Murray, Stasia Balakowski, Charlotte Waterhouse, Luke Morgan, and Robert J. Montoya.
0: Yes, we also want to give a shout out to Nick Frega, who upped his donation um we really appreciate it and we are so excited to dive in to fratelli tutti with all of you um if you're still on the fence about joining there's a bandwagon and there's people getting on it um and the reading the reading and the recipe of the week are going out this coming monday um and you still got time visit patreon.com america media and we're gonna unpack this encyclical together
2: great and now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God in our lives and where it was harder to find God. What do you have this week,
0: Zach? Uh, I got a desolation, um, and it's not from that interview, although it might <laughs> it very well could have been. Um, I'm, I don't know. I'm pretty sad this week. Uh got some really good friends of mine that are moving out of New York, and not only that, but like also... It, like three, which is just like all at once, which is just feels like a lot. I think there's a lot of people even New York, but I'm really close to these people and I'm not seeing a ton of people here. And these three were definitely in my circle of people that I you know, was hanging out with. And I know that everybody is a long distance friend in a lot of ways right now. Um, and so maybe other people have gotten better at being long distance friends. Um, I don't think I have. That's something that I still like really struggle with and like really just like, feel like bad about constantly that like, if the people aren't like in my life in person in front of me, I'm, I'm just not great at keeping up and being a good friend. And so I've got these people that are leaving that I'm very close to. And the evil spirit is just telling me like, Oh, you know, it's never going to be the same. You're probably going to lose them because you suck at keeping up with people. Look at all the ways you've done it before. You're always going to be like this. So, uh, that's that. And I know that's not true, but I like want so badly to just like, you know, be happy for them because they're all making moves that are are appropriate for them at this time. Um, and they're really excited about, and, you know, hopefully I wish in my best self, I could just like be in a state of prayer that is just gratitude for what has been and, you know, excitement for what is to come. Um, but the reality is I'm, I'm just not, and it's kind of stuck here. And so the first step is, you know, naming it, naming the evil spirit because it loses its power i think when i know what it's trying to do to me but uh that's my that's my desolation this week
2: yeah i can definitely relate i'm also terrible at long distance friendships and i also am friends with two of these three people and i'm also very sad about the move um
0: yeah so tough Uh, times what do you got ashley yeah um
2: i have a consolation uh it's, got, it's related to what ha- what I talked about last week in my consolation. Um, So, but I didn't really want to share this because I don't look that great in the story. Um, but after I did this NPR interview, I got a text from my uncle who lives in South Carolina and he, he just texted me out of the blue. I don't talk to him that often. And he said, you sounded very intelligent. Great job. And I was like, oh, my like response was like, thanks. Uh, I didn't take you as an NPR listener. Which was like, as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, that was so condescending and rude and awful of me. And I and, you know, he responded back like, I don't really know how to take that. And I tried to like play it off like, oh, I'm just like making fun of NPR listeners. You know, they're big lefties. Um, And he just came back with like such like good humor and love he was like oh well little did you know on my uh, radio presets I have NPR set all the way at the left and Rush Limbaugh set at the right and I listen to them both every day (laughs) and I just like his he like came back in such a loving way that like it was able to like puncture my very reflexive condescension and like biases about you know what I think about people who you know are conservative and vote for Trump or whatever and uh I was just very grateful that like he he responded in love and you know accepted me even though I was being condescending and rude and you know at a time when he was just complimenting me and and so because he was so loving I was able to love him even more and so I I was very grateful for that lesson from from my uncle and especially good before the, before the election, there are a lot of like hard feelings and fears and, you know, anxiety. And I was reminded, um, about, you know, uh, the essential goodness of a lot of people.
0: Well, in your defense, the Rush Limbaugh and NPR thing is a surprising, I, I think in fairness, that is a surprising, uh, to, to radio presets, yeah. uh, but Hey, we believe in a God of surprises. So. Yeah. All right. Get us out of here. <laughs>
2: Jesuitical is produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith formation provided by Father Eric Sundra. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is a production of American Media in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.
0: Hey, everyone, it's Zach and Ashley here. And you probably already know this, but the election is coming up. Election day is almost here. And while millions have already voted, uh, I am not among them yet. I am hoping to have voted by the time this episode drops. Uh, Ashley, how about you?
2: Yep, I voted by mail yesterday.
0: Smart. Yeah, I'm trying to avoid some of the lines, so I'm trying to get in early. Um, But most Americans still need to cast their ballot. And believe it or not there are people who haven't made up their mind yet. And both the Trump and Biden campaigns are reaching out to a key voting block, Catholics. Right. So to learn how these
2: Catholics are thinking about their vote, visit americamagazine.org to read the smartest analysis of the 2020 election.